We'll be back in 1 Peter chapter 1. And that's the beautiful thing about working through a, a book is that you know where we're going to be. You don't have to wonder. Um, we're going to continue where we left off today. And we got all the way down to verse 12. And tonight we have uh, also big ambitions that it will not just be a one-verse night. We will read verse 13 all the way down to verse 16. Um, continuing on with what we left off today with. So, let's pick up in verse 13, and you'll find that first word of that verse, therefore. What's the therefore, therefore? What he is going to tell us here is in light of everything you just heard, therefore. And I want you to listen really closely. And if you, if you, if you strain really hard, and you think in the past, some of these words you're getting ready to hear are going to sound very familiar to you. Maybe another apostle. You've heard these words very similar come from him. So let's read this and see if you can see it. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which, you were, uh, which were yours in your ignorance. But like the, one ho- the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Maybe you remember, or you can bring back to your remembrance some of those Talking points, some of those verses, some of those uh, things from the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans. We'll dive in this tonight and see what we can discover. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the consistency of your word. And we thank you for the unchangeableness of your word. Lord, your word, every word of it has been tested and Lord, it is a refuge for all who run to you and to your word. And Lord, as we begin to unpack these verses and we begin to see what is pleasing to you, we pray that the Holy Spirit would help us and guide us tonight. That not only would we just be hearers of this word, but also, Lord, we would be doers. We would put this into action and it would change our lives. We ask these things in your name. Amen. He tells us here, prepare your minds for action. What's interesting here is that some translations say, gird up your loins of your mind. What does this imagery start to tell us? Well, we've heard that, we've heard that before. We've heard gird up your loins. And what does that mean? Well, we know that in the days of antiquity, uh, at the time that this was written, the men and the women would also wear sometimes long robes that would go all the way to the ground. This was just part of their wardrobe. However, sometimes with the length of those uh, pieces of material and clothing, if they had to move quickly, if they had to run fast, then what they would do is they would gird up their loins, they would take their garments, they would pull them up, and they would tuck them into their belt. Modern-day shorts. They would tuck them in, they would take away the distraction, take up the ways that would maybe trip them up, and it would give them more freedom to run. If they were to run to get away from an enemy or to go to alert someone, they would 
gird up their loins, tuck in their clothing to their belt, and they could go. This is also what they would do in battle. They would gird up their loins so they could move and they could be decisive in their action. They could be a nimble in their movement. They could escape the enemy. And this is the imagery that we see here in this verse. He's telling us to gird up the loins of your mind or prepare your mind. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. We see the same thing in Romans chapter 12. You're going to see the not being conformed. And you're going to see that there is a significance placed on your mind. If you remember in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 2, it says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. You haven't forgot this verse, have you? This is a good verse. By the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and a holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And here's the call to action. Peter has just told them all these things in the previous verses. He's instructing us as well today via the Holy Spirit. And he says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. A Christian is to grow in the knowledge. We were talking before church, and and we live in a time This is the mindset of many churches across America. And we live in a time where here is the theme. Come to church, but when you walk through the door, leave your mind behind and just let yourself ride on your emotions. It's all about the emotion. We don't want to think about it. We don't want to get deep into the Word. We want to stay surface level, and we just want to go on the emotions. And boy, we will tell you that we've had a great church service when when we've been emotionally charged. That's how, we, that's how we determine across America how our services go. Did I get this feeling? Did I feel great? Was it really geared towards me? Do we ride the emotion? That's the thought process of many churches today. Walk in, don't think, just be driven by your emotion. That's the opposite of the biblical instruction that we're commanded to do. A Christian is to not shut off the mind when you walk into the house of God. You know what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to rev it up. You're supposed to prepare your mind. Because when you come into the house of God, or you open His Word, the renewing of the mind, the knowledge of God, is what brings about your growth and your consistency in your Christian life. That's why Paul mentioned it. Don't be conformed to the world. How can you not be conformed to the world? By renewing what? Your mind. Your mind is key. Your mind is significant. Your mind is a central theme of focus. Renew your mind. Don't shut it off. Don't turn it off. Don't try to stay surface level, but continue to dig. That is the last verse that we will find in the, uh, the second letter that Peter will write. He will tell these exiles to continue to grow in the grace in knowledge of God. We've also mentioned it in Romans uh, when we were there previously that we want to know what the will of God is. We want to know what His will is for our life. How do we know the will of God? By reading His Word. And His Word tells us that His will for your life is sanctification. And tonight we will tell you one thing, that if you want to see holiness increase in your life and you want to see sanctification increase in your life, it's linked to something. It's linked to renewing your mind. 
It's that vital. Yes, we do have emotions. I felt emotions today, but my emotions do not dictate what I know, and they do not dictate the success of a service. They add to it. They're there. But I have those emotions because of the knowledge that He's given me. We've labored this point before, but it's not what I feel, but what you know. I know that I heard R.C. say one time that he would be in a class when he used to teach, and he would ask his students a question. They'd say, hey, he'd say, here's the question I have for you. And he said many times he would hear this response. Well, I feel like that means this. He says, I didn't ask you what you felt, because that can change. What do you know? We've labored this point before, haven't we? If you go on your feelings, Christian life will do this. You'll have a good day, and boy, you'll be here, and you'll have a bad day, and you'll be down here, and there'll be ups and downs, and there'll be valleys and mountains. If you go by your feelings, but there's something that doesn't change. The truthfulness of God's Word. His Word is immutable. His Word is unchanging. And no matter how uncertain your life is, if you renew your mind daily, you will find that your mind is anchored in something that never changes. And it will continue to guide you in the chaos of, war, of the world. This is what Peter is going to tell them. This is what Paul has labored to his audience as well. Feelings will fluctuate and deceive you. That's why he says this. Maybe you've heard this verse. Lean not into your own understanding. Lean not into your own feelings. Because your feelings will deceive you. Your feelings will trip you up. Your feelings will cause you heartache so many times. Feelings will fluctuate and deceive you. But the Word of God, it's immutable. It's unchanging. He says, forever your Word is settled in heaven. To shut off your mind and to let your emotions guide you is the opposite of biblical teaching. We're to renew our mind. The more you know. We've, how many times have you heard this? We've got to say it. We've got to get it into the bloodstream. The more a true Christian knows about God, then the more that love that we talked about today will grow. That only comes through increased knowledge of Him. That's why. Have you seen this? Have you seen people, they will go off and, we're getting ready to go to a conference, so humor me. You just have to understand what I'm saying. It goes the same truth to that too. But have you seen people go away to these retreats They'll go away to these conventions, and what will they do for three or four days? They will be riding the emotion of everything that's going on. They will be pumped, and they will make a resolve in their heart that I will be closer to God than I've ever been. We see this sometimes at, at camp, right? They'll go there, and you'll see people on the altar. You'll see lives being promised to be changed. They are closer to God than they've ever been. But then something happens. They leave that place. And the high that they wanted, the high that they promised God, the joy they felt in their soul, quickly starts to fade. Why? Because they weren't rooted in knowledge. They're rooted in feelings and emotions. And if you want your life to be more consistent, you renew your mind daily because you are anchoring in something that is unchanging. High theology is high doxology. This is what Peter is telling these people. Prepare your minds for action. 
Why would he say that? You remember what he told them previously? Trials are coming. Trials are coming. He tells them to prepare their minds for action because here's what's going to happen. The enemy will come and he will rage a battle on you and your mind. And sometimes he moves past the battle and he wages war. Have you ever had your mind waged a war on? Isn't it easy to start to lose that battle? Isn't it easy to begin tripped up, get discouraged, don't know what to believe, don't know which way's up or which way's down because the enemy is relentless? I believe we said this one time, there's 168 hours in a week. 168 hours that the enemy comes against you to deceive you, to destroy you. 168 hours in a week. How many hours of the week have you been in the Word of God? Because the enemy doesn't stop. Your flesh doesn't stop. It's relentless. The war will continue to wage and to rage in your soul. Think about it. Take this last week, 168 hours of the world and the enemy in your mind. Total up all the time you've been in the Word of God. What percentage is that? Think about it. If you read 15 minutes every day, times seven, that's not very much. Peter says, listen, prepare your minds for action. There's a war waging. There's a war all around you. And if you remember the original context here, these people are going to face trials. They're out of their home and they're going to get easily tripped up and they're going to get easily discouraged. And what he's saying is this, these trials are coming. You know that. You've got a hope that's not here. You know that. Therefore, get your mind ready. Get it ready because it's going to be the only thing that allows you to walk through those trials with victory. The battles are coming. The trials are coming. The testing's coming. The daily grind is coming. Sometimes it's a battle. Sometimes it's a war. Therefore, prepare your mind for action with the truth of God so there will be a path that is illuminated for you and it will guide you into all truth and progress your sanctification. We're looking for a magic formula, aren't we? We're looking for some new thing that no one's ever discovered. Somebody's going to come out of the woodwork and say, listen, I found the key. To sanctification, I found the key to more stability in your Christian life. I found the key in the middle of the trials and the struggles. That's not going to happen. There is no new thing. It's called to renew your mind. Can't you see that too? Can you see the days when you're in the Word versus the days you're not in the Word? I know Paul Washer said this one time. He said, the days that I struggle the most... Or the days that I put the Word of God to the back burner, when will I ever learn? Renew your mind. Daily. Constant. Frequently. That's the key. And this is what Peter's telling them. Then prepare your minds for action. It's not a passive thing. It's coming. It's battle. It's a war. He tells us to keep sober in spirit. Keep your mind sober. That way there's nothing that clouds your thoughts as you begin to think on these things. He says, keep sober in spirit. And then he gives them another instruction. Fix your hope completely on the grace 
to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He, sounds, he can't get away from this point, can he? He can't get away from the point of keeping your mind and your focus fixed on the hope that's to come. Because that's the hope that we have. It's the living hope. That is our home and our future. And he continues to say this. Prepare your mind and let your mind be fixed on the hope. How do you hold on to promises of God in the middle of the daily struggles? Renewing your mind. Reading about those promises. Reading about the goodness that is to come. Reading those uh, verses that say you're called to a living hope. When you are going through the trial, how, do you, how can you be consistent and how can you know that it's going to be okay? How can you know that you, there is hope on the other end? You pick up your Bible and you, you go to 1 Peter and you say, listen, the trials are coming. It's a test of my faith. Therefore, I'm anchored in that. And now I can walk through this. Where's God? I don't know if He's here. In the middle of all this, I don't know if He's here. How do we know that He's here? We pick up the Word. We go to Hebrews chapter 13, and what does it say? He will never leave you, nor forsake you. Or you've had the worst day of your life, and you think, man, could God love me? Could this be the end of it all? Did He really, could He really hold on to me forever and ever and ever? You're like, well, how can I get past this thought and this doubt? You pick up the Word, and you go to John 10. You know what John 10 says. That the shepherd will never let you go. Or you say, hey, how do I know? How do I know? I've messed up so bad. I've sinned against this holy God. How do I know that there's forgiveness there? There can't be forgiveness because I've done this so many times. How can there be? And how can I rest assured that there is? You renew your mind. You pick up your word. You go to 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. What does it say? If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That verse has meant more to me the more I understand of God. Because I used to think, listen, if I beg hard enough and it was all in me, then maybe if I merited forgiveness. That's not what that verse says at all, is it? If I confess it, look who the key player is. He is faithful. And he is just. What does that mean? He's faithful and he's just. Do you remember when we were talking in Romans about his work on the cross? He said the just for the unjust. Because the sins that you and I have committed, they just didn't disappear. They just didn't vanish. They had to be atoned for. And Christ did that on the cross. The justice of God was displayed on the cross. Now, I believe the Bible when he says that there was a once and all sacrifice for our sins. Our sins have been covered. The certificate uh, that stood against us has been paid for. I believe that. The justice of God was satisfied and distributed out on the cross. Those sins have already been paid for. And if you confess your sin, He's faithful to His promise. And He's just. That means He's not going to hold you to that wrath. That wouldn't be just, would it, for those sins to already be paid for? And then He holds you to that wrath. Because of what He did on the cross, the forgiveness is there. He goes down a little farther and He says, I write these things that you don't sin, but if you do sin, you've got an advocate. You've got a paraclete with the Father 
who's the propitiation for your sin, why does he forgive you? Why is he your advocate? Because he's been your propitiation. Do you see how in the middle of chaos, in the middle of doubt, in the middle of struggle, in the middle of wonder, in the middle of worry, in the middle of anxiety, those things fluctuate daily. He says, prepare your mind for battle. Don't anchor it in your feelings because that's sand. But anchor them in the truth of the word. Run to it. Cling to it. It is a call for your mind. He says, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We have been saved by grace. It is by grace alone. That's what Ephesians tells us. It is by grace that we've been saved through faith, and that not of ourselves is the gift of God. However, there's a grace in its final totality that will take place when we see Christ. Peter is laboring this point. All this will be fulfilled, the revelation of your salvation, the fulfillment of your salvation, the completion of your faith. We are able to fix our hope more consistently on the grace of God to be revealed at that time by the renewing of our minds. He was telling them that. He tells us today. Therefore, Prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in your spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you with the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 14, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. We just read that in Romans 12. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. That word transformed is where we get the word metamorphosis, where you have been changed. Think about the metamorphosis that it goes, the creation of the butterfly. It starts out hideous. There's nothing there. There's no beauty in it. But by the time that metamorphosis happens, it is sought after. There's beauty in that. That's the same way with us. We, there's nothing to look at. We are dead in sin. We are enemies of God. But after He changes us and transforms us and we go about this metamorphosis, there's beauty there because of the beauty that God is working in us. Our nonconformity comes from a mind that has been transformed by regeneration. We talk about this word repentance. That's where we get the word metanoia. This is where we get the meaning of that is to change your mind. How does the mind that is hostile to God, enemies of God, how does that mind have a change? That's in your rebirth. Your mind that was hostile to God and didn't want anything to do to God has been changed. God grants repentance and He changes your mind. He changes your, the disposition of your body and your mind and your soul to, to the things of God. And in that regeneration, now our minds are changed and it is in that mind that our nonconformity comes. Listen to what he says here in Ephesians chapter 4, talking about don't be conformed to the former lust. We've been transformed out of that. We're not to be conformed to the old ways because we're new creatures. In Christ. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 through 24, it says this that in reference to your former, former manner of life, you lay aside the old self which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. And here comes the, here comes the grand trick of the, everything. You ready? It's no trick at all. And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. 
This is what Peter's saying. Don't, be, don't go back to your old ways. Be, don't be conformed to your old lust. Don't do that. And now Paul in Ephesians tells the same thing. That way was lust of deceit. That was the old manner of life. But that you were to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Do you see the heavy importance and the weight not only of Peter, not only of Paul, but all through Scripture, there is this weight that is placed on your mind. How often do we forget that? How often do we ride the emotion? But we are to constantly have our mind listening to the things of God, hearing godly singing, reading the Word of God. Our mind is supposed to be meditating on His law day and night, as the psalmist will say. Let it never leave our mouth. Let it never leave our ears. Let it constantly be in our daily patterns and routine. Who here would love to have more consistency in their walk with Christ? Wouldn't we? Renew your mind daily. Grow in the knowledge of God. Grow in His Word. He says this, continuing up there in Ephesians chapter 4, it says, And put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. You'll see there's this linking between renewing your mind and what? Holiness and being conformed to His image. Do you know that everyone that has been called to Christ, those whom He's foreknown, you know what He's predestined you to be? Conformed to the image of a son. That's what He's called you to be. Romans 8, 29 and 30. Do you see this whole pattern layout? Listen to it again. And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and the holiness of the truth. Who wants to grow in sanctification? Who wants to be more conformed to the image of God? I'm so glad you said that. Can I offer a suggestion to you tonight? Renew your mind. Don't shut off your mind, but renew it daily. Meditate, ponder on the things of God. It's never changing, but your feelings are. Maybe right now. You've got questions, concerns, you've got things going on in life, whatever it is. Your emotions are all over the place. Anchor your mind in the truth of the Word. And it will be like Matthew says. It will be that firm foundation. As the world is chaos all around and all the waters are flooding all around you and all the storms are coming. You're anchored in the truth. You're anchored in the unchangeable truth of God. If we want to grow in sanctification and holiness, it's by renewing our mind and learning who God is and what His perfect will is. It's written to us in the Word of God. We see similar language of the old lust, the former lust in Ephesians 2, where he says you were dead in sin and trespass in which you formerly walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, now which is now in working in the sons of disobedience, 
Among them we all too formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and in the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Do you see what he says there? Indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Before you are born again, what is the desire of your mind? Nothing of God. Not one thing of God. The Bible tells us that there's no one who seeks God in their unregenerate state. However, do you know when your seeking does begin? The moment you're born again. Because now you seek after truth. You seek after righteousness. You seek after the depths of His Word. That's when the true seeking for the depths of His Word begin. After you're saved. The Christian's life is a call to nonconformity to the world, but a conformity to the image of God. Isn't that the hardest thing in our society today? What do we teach? Conformity, don't we? Everybody wants to be conformed. If you don't conform, that means you don't love someone, you're not tolerant of someone. We see this even at an early age, the teenagers in this world today, even younger. What is the world's message? Conform to the world. Conform to the world. Do what the world does. But when you renew your mind, you know what the Bible's message is? Don't conform to the world. Don't love the world. Neither the things of the world. Because that leads to death. How hard is that for our young people today? To tell them, as they see all their friends, everybody's doing this. I know, but guys, listen. The Word of God says you can't be conformed to this world. I know that may mean you have no real true friends for a while. That may mean that you have many a lonely nights. But listen, we can't, we can't give in to the world. We have to continue to be transformed into the image of God. Isn't that a hard message today? But there's no compromise in that message. How do we handle that? How do we tell our children? How am I going to tell my children, don't be conformed to this world? It involves me as a parent, renewing my mind daily. That way I can tell them the truth. That way we can be less wavering when the world is chaos. Again, you know what's not. The truth of the word. Renew our minds. Our sanctification is linked with the renewing of our mind and growing the knowledge of God. So is our nonconformity. Once you understand what God's word wants and his wills, that will increase your sanctification. Verse 15. It says, But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. <laughs> Shall we read that verse again? <laughs> Might as well. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Let me first make note of, like the Holy One who called you. You've never heard that before, have you? Those whom He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. And those whom He predestined, He called. 
And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. He says, the one who called you is holy. Let me just make a few points on that. He called you, it's effectual. Think about that. The Holy One, God, called you out of His grace and His mercy. And because He called you to be holy, you better be holy. Let me say something about the word holy. We've got it up here. We as Christians, we know if you ask people across the world today, and we've covered this before, so this, this won't be absolutely fresh or new, but it's a good reminder, is if you ask people, what does the word holy mean? What does holy mean? They would say, well, pure, right? It, 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 without sin. Well, that's the secondary meaning. Where we get this word is the Hebrew word kadesh, which means to set apart, cut out from, or other than. And of all the attributes of God, the godness of God, what makes God God, is His holiness. There's no one like Him. There's only one God. He's other than. You know that distance that we keep talking about, the, when we understand the distance of who He is and we are, the more our hearts will be changed and the more our worship will increase? We can't grasp how other than He is. We cannot grasp how separate He is from His creatures. We can't grasp that. But this is what makes God God. There's no one else. When we say that God is immutable and He's unchangeable, do you know anything else or anyone else that's immutable? Do you, I'm not. I've changed my mind 15 times today. I'm not the same person I was five years ago. I change. You change. We change. Can you think of anyone that's immutable? There's only one. That's why He's holy. All of His attributes come from His holiness. There's no one else who's omnipotent who has all power, is there? There's no other. So the fact that He's omnipotent hinges on what? His holiness. The fact that He's sovereign. Anyone else sovereign over this universe? No, they're not. The fact that He is, is because He's holy and there's no one like Him. All of His attributes flow from His holiness. And the one who's holy, this God, is the only one who can declare anything holy. We read about it today. Moses is before the burning bush. Piece of ground. Five minutes before Moses got there was a normal piece of ground, wasn't it? Oh, but something changed. The Holy One tells Moses, says, take off your sandals because the ground you're standing on is holy. It's been set apart by me. That ground had no inherent holiness. But why was it holy? Because God declared it holy. On the Mount Sinai in Exodus 19, the Bible records that that mountain was considered holy. Why was it holy? God declared it holy. There were utensils and pieces uh, that would go into the tabernacle, in the temple. And they were declared holy. Why? How does any of that stuff have any holiness? It's not. It doesn't. But the word holy means to be set apart. This is so important. This is so important to our Christian life. Those things that were in the temple, 
those instruments, those utensils, they had no holiness in themselves. They had nothing of themselves that would make them holy. They weren't pure. They weren't innocent. They were an object. How were they declared holy? By God. How is Israel in the Old Testament considered a holy nation? Have you read the history of Israel? Have you read their shortcomings? Have you heard about all the times they disobeyed God? Have you heard about all the times they went into exile because of their disobedience? But now they're called holy. Why are they called holy? Because they were chosen by God. God looks at the nation of Israel and He says, I declare you holy, not because you're holy, not because there's anything in you that's holy, but because I, the Holy One, have declared you holy. How are you and I considered holy? Anything in you? Are you holy? Is there anything in you that God would look down upon and say, man, holiness right there. No, 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 no. But look what Peter says. Like the Holy One who called you. Do you know how you're declared holy or set apart? You know that every believer is holy. They've been set apart by God. They've been pulled out of the world. They've been rescued out of the dominion of darkness. They've been transferred into the kingdom of light. They have been set apart as a peculiar people. How does that happen? That the same God who declared the ground holy, the same God who declared the mountain holy, the same God who declared the utensils holy, at some point in your life, in your time and space, your temporal moment of salvation here on this earth, that the Holy One will look at you and me and declare you holy. What a thought that is. That He would look down at you and He would say, I declare you holy. Do you remember what happens in justification? He looks at you and declares you innocent. You see, all this is coming from God. What is he saying? He's saying that he's cut you out from the world. He separated his elect from the world. Not because of anything they've done, but by sheer mercy and grace. He looks at you and calls you justified. He calls you innocent when you're not. He looks at you and calls you holy, even though you've not perfect and pure but He's called you to Himself. Think about that moment just for a second. That the Holy One would look at you and with all finality say, I declare Him holy. I declare her holy. What an amazing gift of grace. That's why you're holy. That's why you're justified. You've been set apart now. There's an initial part of separation. There's initial sanctification. That word means to be set apart as well. And in the moment of regeneration, the moment of our salvation, we are set apart, we're sanctified, we are cut out from the world, and we are declared innocent, holy before God. That's the initial phase. But then comes the progressiveness of that holiness. 
and the progressiveness. Now this is on our end. Now we go to the progressive part of holiness or sanctification. This is where you and I are called to be separate than the world. He says, because the one who's called you is holy. What, what has he just mentioned? Don't be conformed. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't be conformed to your old lusts. But be holy because the one who's called you is holy. What he's saying to you is this, two things. He's saying, you're not of this world. You're other than. You're separate from this world. In 2 Corinthians, there's a verse in the ending of chapter 6 and in verse 7. It says, come out from among them and be separate. Touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you, says the Lord. There is a call to not be like the world because we're not of the world. Do you remember what we talked about the first verse in this chapter? You're exiles. You're not of this world. Don't be conformed. You've been cut out from this world. You're other than this world. You're separate than this world. The one who's called you to this holiness is other than, and he's also pure. So you are to live a life that is separate from the world, to not engage in the things they engage in, to not act like they act, to not respond like they respond, to not talk like they talk, or to be other than them because we're not of this world. Are you separate from the world? Well, if you're a Christian, you are. The question is now, do our actions show that? He says, be holy in all your manners. So we've got two things here. We've got the separation, this meaning of holiness, but we also have the pure and righteous acts where we are called in our sanctification to be more like Christ. And the more that we what? Renew our mind. The more that your sanctification increases and the more that those righteous, holy things will come out of your soul and be more conformed to His image. There's a great responsibility to be declared holy by God, isn't there? He's called you holy. He's called you out of the world. And then he says, because the Holy One has called you, then you have a responsibility. Be yourselves holy. Be separate from the world. And be godly in your actions. Because you're being conformed to His image. That's a heavy verse, isn't it? We're called to nonconformity because God has called us holy. In verse 15, we see that. We see that decree. We see that emphatic statement. And then we go down to verse 16. It says, Because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Where does this come from? This reference right here comes from Leviticus chapter 11. And we had mentioned this when we were talking about the, the matters of the weaker and stronger brother, the matters of Adiophorus nature. Remember the scruples we talked about? One believed they couldn't eat the meat and the one believed they could eat the meat. Leviticus 11 is in regards to those dietary restrictions that were placed on Israel where he tells Israel, you cannot eat certain things. And then at the, as he progresses all the way through and he says, you can't eat this, here's why. He, he's working through this whole thing. And he says, here's why. 
You'll be holy for I am holy. The reason that he gave those dietary restrictions to the Israelites is to show they weren't like the world. That was the main point of why he was doing that. All the other nations around you, they, they're going to eat whatever they want to eat. But you're my chosen people. You're my, ho- my holy people. I've called you into this holiness. I've separated you. And now you're going to be different than everyone else. You're going to be the only nation that has these laws of dietary restriction put on you. As I am other than, as I am separate, as I am holy, so will you. That's the call of the Christian. To be separate. To be not like the world. And to be conforming to the image of God. That's quite the weighty verses. Those are quite the weighty verses, aren't they? The initial context here is to be separate. Again, where are they at? They're exiles. They're exiles. They're not even in their homes. He says, listen, be holy, be separate, because I'm holy. I've called you to this. He says, the true and holy God has called the believers to be holy and set apart for Him. While we are exiles in this world, we are to renew our minds and to set our hope on our inheritance. Do you want to be more holy? Do you want to be more separate than this world? Can I offer a some strategies renew your mind you want to be less like this world be in this you want to be anchored in the word that's the greatest thing you've got what are you trusting in right now your feelings your emotions are you anchored down in the word of God We can all relate to this, can't we? You know what this requires? Work. We want, the, we want the benefits, we want the sanctification, but what do we want to do? We just want to sit there and pray. Praying is important. Praying is, he tells us to be devoted to prayer. But he says, prepare your mind for action. Stop and think tonight. How important is sanctification to you? How important is it to be separate than the world? How important is it to fix your hope on the grace that is to be revealed? How important is it to you? He tells us how we do it. To renew your mind. Daily. And you know what's going to happen one day? This God that has called you into holiness has looked at you and declared you holy. How do we, isn't that almost mind-blowing? This God that has called you to holiness, who's called you to himself, one day, this hope that Peter continues to, to labor the point on and in this fixing your mind on the future and in the inheritance that is to come, 
This God who's called you to holiness. This God that has rescued you. One day, we will be in heaven. The fulfillment of all that will come to pass. And do you know what we'll say? Holy. 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 That will be the cry in heaven. Because His holiness is what makes Him Him. Can you hear the words of God? Listen to it tonight. For the one, the Holy One who's called you, He says, be holy. Because I'm holy. (coughs) In your mind. You could be to conform into my image. What a responsibility. What a call we have. Listen, if you're a Christian, you're going to get there. Now the question comes, do we want this? Up and down. If you want this, shut your word and trust your feelings. But if you want an anchor for the soul, you do what Peter says. You do what Paul says. As led by the Holy Spirit, the battles are coming. Gird up the loins. Prepare your mind. And think about that day that you will cry, holy, holy, holy. It's a challenge to the Christian, isn't it? It's a challenge to all of us. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, your word is everything, and so often we have neglected it. So often we have undervalued it. So often, God, we have trusted our own selves. We have trusted our ways. We've trusted our abilities. We have trusted our resolve. We've trusted our great ideas and our problem-solving skills. God, we, we, we've looked everywhere but your word. We've rested our minds everywhere but your word. And God, when will we ever learn that the only anchor that we have, the only sure thing that we have, the only thing that's immutable is you and your word. You told us in the previous verses that we covered last week that heaven and earth will pass away. It's your word. Lasts forever. Lord, it's immutable. It's unchanging. It's a refuge for us. And Lord, you have told us that we're to renew our mind as we grow in holiness and we grow in sanctification. Lord, I pray that everyone here tonight, including myself, the Holy Spirit would convict our souls and give us a desire for your word that we've never had. Lord, even on days where it doesn't, it doesn't feel easy or it doesn't feel like it's something we want to do, Lord, let us have a resolve in our heart to trust you over those feelings and know that if we can just get to the word, that we'll find you. Lord, we pray that you would guard our minds, Lord, and you would just plant our minds on you in your word. So when the battles rage, we can have peace. We ask these things in your name. Amen.